Welcome to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast, where the cross and the culture are on a collision course for discussion. For the preaching of the cross is to them that perish foolishness. But unto us which are saved it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and will bring to nothing the understanding of the prudent. Where is the wise? Where is the scribe? Where is the disputer of this world? Hath not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? For after that in the wisdom of God, the world by wisdom knew not God. It pleased God by the foolishness of preaching to save them that believe. For the Jews require signs, the Greeks seek after wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. Under the Jews a stumbling block, under the Greeks foolishness, but under them which are called both Jews and Greeks, Christ, the power of God and the wisdom of God. Now, here's your host, Thomas Irvin. All right, if you'd open your Bibles to Roman chap- Romans, Roman, Romans, you know, I don't think I've ever made that mistake before. Usually people do, do it the other way. They say revelations or they say psalms. It's, if it's just an individual psalm, then it's just psalm. It's the book of Revelation, um, but I just made the opposite mistake, Roman, <laughs> Roman 1, <laughs> Romans chapter 1, and uh, we'll read verses 1 through 7, get the uh, context in our minds, and then today we're going to venture into verse 7, so man, we are, we are moving fast out, uh, seven verses, this is, uh, let me see, this is the 16th sermon in the book of Romans so far. So, praise the Lord. Um, 16 sermons in the first seven verses. So, uh, I'm okay with that. I hope, hope it doesn't bog you down too much or it's not too tedious for some of you. Um, if it is, just be like Miss Kathleen and stay home for... <laughs> uh, I guess I'll mention that there was... I don't know about uh, seven different problems back on the on the tail end of that COVID, and then coughing, and then taking care of all the Hoyt and all those things. So, uh, no, I'm just giving you a hard time because it's fun to do. So, <laughs> we are glad you two are back. It's a blessing to see you here, and smiling. And so, that's that's even better. All right, let's read verses one through seven. Paul, a servant of Jesus Christ, called to be an apostle separated under the gospel of God, which he had promised afore by his prophets in the Holy Scriptures. Concerning his son, Jesus Christ, our Lord, which was made of the seed of David, according to the flesh, and declared to be the son of God with power, according to the spirit of holiness, by the resurrection uh, from the dead, by whom we have received grace and apostleship for obedience to the faith among all nations for his name, among whom are ye also the called of Jesus Christ to all that be in Rome, beloved of God, called to be saints, grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. All right, now we, we have talked in depth, step by step, going through 
Romans 1, verses 1 through 7, which, which I've mentioned numerous times, is the introduction to the book of Romans. It is, uh, Paul is uh, telling them who he is. He goes on to tell them in the next several verses, I, I wish I could be there. I want to see you. He's never been there. He desires to be there. But just, just the way things have worked out, he's not had an opportunity to go to this church at Rome. So he spends the first several verses introducing himself, telling them who he is, and then he goes directly into his separate, being separated to the gospel of God. Then he goes into some brief detail, concise detail about who, what that's about, Jesus Christ our Lord, who is of the seed of David, who, who was declared to be the Son of God by the resurrection from the dead. Um, all very important details. And, and so once we get down to verse Right, once you get down to about verse 5, um, he begins to direct his comments towards the people at Rome. And he's talking about them specifically and how they are the beneficiaries of this gospel and his labors and all these things that the Holy Spirit has used him to do. But then we get to verse 7, to all that be in Rome. Now, this is very interesting because we, we know historically, biblically, and, unless you open a, a Roman Catholic history book uh, uh, that we, we know that Peter never went to Rome. As far as we know, none of the other apostles ever went to Rome. Paul went to Rome, but in handcuffs, basically. He went there to die. And, and so prior to going there, this church was started. And he loved this church. He desired to see this church. He desired to minister to this church, but he did not start this church. And one of the reasons, one of the ways that we know that Paul or that none of the other apostles were there working is Paul said in his own writings that it, that it is not a practice of mine to go and labor in another man's field. So if another apostle was there, it is highly unlikely that Paul's going to go there or take this type of in-depth interest in this church if another apostle was working with this church. Right. That makes sense. All right, so unless you're a Roman Catholic, you have no reason to believe that Peter was in Rome. There is no indication in the Word of God that Peter was in Rome. Uh, I, now, it's they need him to be in Rome. Otherwise, their entire uh, structure makes no sense because they believe that Peter was the first pope who was married, by the way, and you know, had a wife and a mother-in-law and all those wonderful things. So if he was the first pope, you have another of, of, of other issues that, I mean, they don't, they don't, but they don't take those things into account. They don't really care. Uh, they do what they want because it's religion. I'm not here to, to pass on a religion. I'm here to teach the Bible. And biblically speaking, we don't know who started this church in Rome. But there's a church there. And Paul is... Paul has this attachment and this concern for this church and he desires to be there and he prays for them and he wants to, he, he says, I want to come there so that I can impart to you. I want to give to you. I want to, I want to teach you. I want to build you up. And he, and he has this love for this church. And so this letter to the Romans provides the perfect explanation of the Christian life. Now imagine that. You have this church, and we're, we're going to talk about some possibilities as, as to how this church came to exist. We're also going to talk a little bit. It's going to be very brief. We're not going to go into a whole bunch of detail because we're going to hammer it as we go through the book of Romans. But I'm, I'm, we are going to look at the conditions of Rome at this time. It was a world superpower, essentially. 
And not only so, it was steeped in Gentile pagan heathenism. And there's a church there. What, I mean, it's Los Angeles. It's New York City. It's London. It, it's, it's Sodom. It's Gomorrah. And there's a church there. And we don't even know who started it. <laughs> All right, and so we're going to look at some of the details behind that. But this is, what I, this is the idea as we go into it that I want you to think about. Paul is writing to this church because somehow a church came to exist there. But they don't know what to do. <laughs> they don't know how to operate. They don't know how to function. And so what we, we gain this insight as the apostle to the Gentiles writes this letter to a church at Rome that needs instruction, that needs direction. And so we get to, we get to be that fly on the wall reading the letter that he wrote to this church that teaches them how to be New Testament Christians. Now, can you see how that'd be awfully beneficial to us today if we wanted to learn how to be New Testament Christians? If we wanted to learn how to operate as a New Testament church, a Bible-believing church? So that this, this church just, it came to exist. There are a number of possibilities as to how it came to exist. We'll look at at least one of them tonight. But it, it, it exists. We don't know who started it, how it started. It's in the middle of Roman paganism, but Paul says, look, look at verse, uh, I think it's verse 15. Um, yeah, let's just read a few verses there. So as much as in me is, I am ready to preach the gospel to you that are at Rome also, for I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God unto salvation to the Jew first and also to the Greek. That's not what I'm looking for. Um, uh, look back at verse Look at verse 11. For I long to see you that I may impart unto you some spiritual gift. So that's his desire to be there. Um, oh, verse 8. That's what I'm looking for. First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for you all that your faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. <laughs> so you have this church. Again, nobody knows who, how it, who, who started it. The Bible doesn't tell us. There's no definitive answer to that question, but we know it exists, and, and in the middle of heathen paganism, without any apostolic instruction, they're doing great. How is that? Paul said, your faith is spoken of throughout the entire world. I can't wait to come there and teach you. How can that be? Now, what's so frustrating to me about that is we have churches all over the world today that have access to everything the Apostle Paul wrote, everything Peter wrote, James, John, Mark, Matthew, Luke, everything in the Word of God, plus every preacher that, that we have a record of from the time of the Apostles all the way down to right now, all on the Internet, you could learn everything about Christianity you could possibly want to know. And the churches are garbage. They're weak. They're impotent. With, with the, the wealth of an American society behind them, with the, the freedom of an American society behind them, with the, the entire accumulated knowledge of the Internet and, and all that you could access to learn the Bible from that. Now, there's going to be a bunch of garbage. There's also going to be some really good stuff. Why can't we, why, why can't our churches have their faith spoken of throughout all the world with all that access to all that information and knowledge. 
What, what is the problem? No, it's not the knowledge. It's the faith. Your faith is spoken of throughout the, all, all the world. What they knew, the little they knew, they believed it and they did it. And, and it somehow... It somehow served to separate them from a pagan society and establish a Bible-believing church in Rome that the entire world knew was there, and it just boggled their minds. How? Why? You know, there's, there's, a, there's a preacher in uh, Staten Island, New York, an unbelievable preacher, a great man, who, who knew that there was a Bible-believing, a fundamental, independent Baptist, Bible-believing church in Staten Island, New York? I got saved in 2010 in Saudi Arabia. I came back home to the U.S. I was, a, I was a, a few fights away from being a professional fighter. My next training camp was in Long Island, New York. So I moved up to Long Island, New York to, to prepare for my next fight. And when I got there, I ended up in an independent Baptist church in Holtzville, New York, an unbelievably conservative independent Baptist church in Holtzville, New York, which is considered the Sodom and Gomorrah of America. <laughs> What are the possibilities that I end up there? And, and that's where I get the foundation of my Christian life regarding the King James Bible, regarding men being men. You know, it's an amazing thing. You go to that church, and the men there were men. And the women, guess what they were? <laughs> women. Now, I understand that, that you would think these are things you don't have to say, but in 2023, you kind of have to notate those things because uh, we're having a few problems when it comes to that. We have Supreme Court justices now who can't tell you what a woman is. But it was celebrated that she was a black woman on the Supreme Court. It's like, well, they must have figured it out somewhere between her, her being you know, nominated and, and, and put on the bench. But these are things you would think you didn't have to say, but you, you, you do today. And so this man, he... he he taught me how to be a young Christian man who was newly saved out of the world, wanted to know how to serve Jesus, wanted to know how to live for Jesus. He taught me some foundational things, and it's in Holtzville, New York, in Long Island, somewhere you would never think there was a Bible-believing church. And doing great. The one in Staten Island, doing great. They go out in Times Square and, and stand up and preach the gospel publicly in Times Square, multiple times a week, every week. And thriving, doing great. It's, it's, their, it's their adherence to the word of God, to what they know. It's not even the amount that they know. It's that what we know, we're doing this. We're going to stay faithful to it. And God blesses it. And the church thrives. And then their faith becomes spoken of throughout, throughout all the world. What, one of my, uh, a man that I, I've told some of you about, his name is Ron Ralph. I love him dearly. He's an incredible man. He is in Carthage, Tennessee, a town much smaller than Loosedale. I mean, it, it makes Loosedale look like a big city. And, and it's so, you know, I-40 goes through that area, but it misses their town. And because of that, it's like it doesn't exist. <laughs> you have to get off I-40 and go looking for it. And you got to drive around these big hills and, and all that just to find it. And, and in that small, obscure town is a fundamental independent Baptist church called Cornerstone Baptist Church that has about 300 people there, maybe about 280 people going to that church. That might be the population of the town. <laughs> I mean, it might be a little, be a little more than that, but, but it's not a big town. 
And every year that church gives $1.2 million to missions with blue collar country people. I mean, the culture here is the culture there. The atmosphere is the atmosphere there. But it's because a group of people who are united together in, in, in Jesus Christ and they are faithful to do what they know. And, and God blesses it. All right now, so you had this church somehow, some way at Rome, in Rome. And Paul is writing to it. He desires to see them. And uh, they, they exist in the middle of this Gentile depravity. And, and we're going to look at that list of activity at the end of Romans chapter 1. Uh, these are details, these are characteristics of the Roman lifestyle. And they're eerily similar to the American lifestyle and the British lifestyle and the German lifestyle. It's, 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 gen, it's, it's the Gentile world and how they act and how they live. And it's contrary to the word of God. And yet this church exists in the midst of it. In fact, Romans 1 is well known for dealing with homosexuality. Well, why is Paul writing about that? That was a massive problem in Rome and in Greece and in other societies throughout history. It's not a new thing that somebody just came up with. It's just today you can put it on Facebook and social media and YouTube and you'll be lauded for it. Everybody loves you because you're confused about your gender or who to date or what bathroom to use. You're considered heroic today for doing that. Um, back then they hadn't thought of that level of depravity yet that I know of. <laughs> Uh, but today, you, you, you can, you know, they brag about it. It's considered a good thing. And so uh, we're going to look at that list briefly. The best word to summarize this lifestyle is given in Romans 1. It's reprobate. They're in a reprobate, reprobate society, and yet this church exists whose faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Praise the Lord. Now, this Bible-believing church at Rome is a church whose faith, as we just said, is spoken of through the whole world and, and deep in the depths of depravity, often even persecuted in horrible ways throughout the years, especially as the, what's interesting, they went from being persecuted by the Roman government to being persecuted far worse than they'd ever dreamed of by the Roman Catholic Church. <laughs> I, I don't understand how it got worse when the church took over. Um, and that it's, it's interesting to watch Roman Catholics try and explain that. How is it that when your church was in charge of the entire world, it was called the Dark Ages? How can that be? Right, and so they, they, you know, they squirm when you, when you bring those things up. And, and our goal tonight is not to just bash the Roman Catholic Church. The point is that Peter wasn't there. Paul wasn't there. James wasn't there. John wasn't there. None of the apostles were there. And yet you had this thriving church. Now, Paul is trying to get there because they obviously need some instruction. They need some grounding. They need some help. They need to be built up in the word of God. But they're doing great until they, they get this instruction from, from the apostle Paul. And then what's even better is he puts it in writing and we have it <laughs> and can learn from it. And, and we're going to. Now, how did this church come to exist? Turn to uh, Acts chapter 2 and we'll look at a few possibilities. Well, we'll look at one. I mean, there, there are a couple of different possibilities, but this is probably the most likely, so we'll just look at this one. Acts chapter 2, and we'll read verses 1 through 11. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, they were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled all the house where they were sitting, 
And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like as of fire, and it sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Do you see what's happening here? The Lord Jesus Christ told the the disciples, I want you to go sit and wait in Jerusalem. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. And when he comes, you're going to be endued with power from on high to be a witness unto me. Right? So they're sitting, they're waiting. The Spirit comes and then they sit around together and speak in tongues and bark like a dog and roll on the ground and, 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 and laugh at each other. No, that's not what happened. That, that's not at all what happened. <laughs> what happened is they left the room and they went out into the world. So when the Spirit came, they didn't sit around barking like dogs and acting like fools in the name of Jesus Christ. They got up, they went out into the world, and they began to preach the gospel in such a miraculous way that people from every nation under heaven could understand them in their own language. Okay, so they were not going, hanana, shanana, manana, you know, just, just a bunch of ramblings. What happened is they went outside, and when their mouth opened, what the, what the, 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 the Arabian heard was Arabic. And what the Syrian heard was Syrian. And what every person that was there from every nation under, under the sun, what they heard was them preaching the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. But it was, though they were speaking Hebrew or they were Hebrews, they heard it in their own language. In the Bible, a tongue is a language. And, and not, just a, not just a random language that exists out in the ether that you get to make up. It is a spoken language. Italian, French, German. Those are tongues. Right? And so these people heard the word of God in their tongue. Right? This was not just some random you know, gibber, you know, gibberish that was going on. They, they heard the word of God spoken in their own tongues. And so what God has done is orchestrated a situation where the men who were waiting for him, as he instructed, received the Holy Spirit. And when they got the Holy Spirit, they left the upper room and walked out into a street full of people from every nation under the sun on the day of Pentecost, there to worship according to the Jewish religion. But what they got instead was the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ in their own language. God put that together. That's why we go to parades, and that's why we go to carnivals, and that's why we go out on the streets, and we try, and, and you know, a couple weeks ago, I was downtown, and um, I think I was going for the insurance stuff. I don't remember what I was doing, but I was walking down the street, and, and this couple gets out of a car, and they say, excuse me, is it okay if we park here? And when they said that, uh, they had a strong accent, and I said, well, maybe, where are you from? <laughs> And they said, we're from Russia. So now imagine if we'd been out there standing on the street corner with a sign about Jesus Christ, someone from Russia would have gotten the gospel that day. That's the potential. That's what we, that's what we want to go out and do. Right? And so, yeah, I said, yeah, it's, it's fine if you preach there. You, I mean, preach. It's fine if you park there. It's no problem. You know, as long as you're, you're, you don't park all day, they just want you to park for a few hours. And she's like, okay, we just wanted to make sure. And so there's a, there's a couple there from Russia 
who could have gotten the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ had we been out there at that time and that moment. And, and you know, whether they wanted to talk to us or not, that's a whole other story. But, but the Lord, in this situation, gathered the world together, and all they had to do was go out and do what God said. He enabled them. He gave them the power. He gave them the ability. He filled them with the Spirit. And so they go out and they say, Christ is risen from the dead. And what the Italian heard was, that in Italian. <laughs> And what the Spaniard heard was that in Spanish. And what the German heard was that in German. That, that's speaking in tongues. Right? It's, it's not what our Pentecostal friends like to uh, do, whatever that is. Right? I, I love them. I appreciate them. I thank the Lord for them sometimes. But that's not speaking in tongues. Right. Speaking in tongues was a, was a miraculous gift given to men that allowed them to speak to a person of a different language, but that person understood them. Right? That's, that's tongues. And so, but, but for our purposes, here we have God orchestrating this incredible situation. Every man from every, man from every nation under the sun, all together. Well, let's see who all's there. Verse 6. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. That's important. That's a key detail when it comes to speaking in tongues. Verse 7. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our tongue, wherein we were born Parthians and Medes, and Elamites, and dwellers in, uh, uh, in Mesopotamia, and in Judea, and Cappadocia, in Pontus, and Asia, Phrygia, and Pamphylia, in Egypt, and in the parts of Libya, about Cyrene, and strangers of Rome. Strangers of Rome. Jews, and proselytes, Cretes, and Arabians. Uh, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of of God. All right, now these people, they, they come for this festival. They came expecting the day of Pentecost. Now what's, what's important or, or an important detail is as they come to worship in Jerusalem, it means that they are intimately familiar with the law of Moses. They, they understand how to worship in accord with, with Old Testament requirements. So they, under, they know the scriptures. And here you have Peter stand up, and, and we don't have time to read it all, but if you go down through this chapter, what Peter is going to preach is the death, the burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, he is going to go through the details to pinpoint that this is a descendant of David. This is the Messiah. This was the king, and you slew him. You killed him. You put him to death. But he was buried, and on the third day, he rose from the dead. And now, on this day, 3,000 souls are going to be added to the church. And some of them are going to stay, and some of them are going to go back home. And guess what they're going to take with them? The gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, what does that say? Now, we, we, we've talked about it. We haven't got to it yet in Romans 1. For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it is the power of God. Now, all these people know when they leave. Depending on how long they stayed, depending on how much instruction they received from Peter and, and the other disciples while they're there, all, all they know is what they got in those few days, plus the law of Moses and the gospel. That's it. 
And they take that back to Rome, and from that, likely, not definitively, but likely, a church starts. They go back and they preach the gospel. They go back in the midst of Roman paganism, Roman heathenism, reprobate, and they preach the gospel to people, people get saved, and they join themselves together, and they create an organization of people. All The, the unity is in Jesus Christ and what little bit they know about the Christian life, and from that, their faith is spoken of throughout the whole world. Now, we know far more than that. We have far more grounding. We have far more available to us, and, and yet, as a society, our, our churches struggle. We're preaching to the same people, reprobates, confused, confused about their gender, confused about who to, who to date, confused about how to treat your parents, confused about murdering each other, uh, confused about robbing each other. All the horrendous things that, that happen in our society, it, just, go to, just watch the news in Mobile one night. <laughs> I was sitting somewhere, I, don't, I think we were at the hotel, and, and we were having breakfast at the hotel when we first got here, and the news was online, on, you know, on the television, and I didn't know where it was from, and it was like five stabbings, and six shootings, and four robberies, and seven rapes, and it was just like, where is this? I thought, is this Memphis? No, it's right next door, it's Mobile, All right? That, that's where they took the gospel. And very little other information, very little other knowledge with them. They went somewhere like that, joined themselves together, preached the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, and it created a church that, that, whose faith is spoken of throughout all the world. What's our excuse? What, what are our brethren's excuses? At other churches, other cities, other towns... Now, Loosedale has its problems, but it's not Mobile, and it's not Rome. And, and in some cases and in some ways, that, that adds a, a different level of difficulty. Because it's so nice here, nobody thinks they need the Lord Jesus Christ. Right? But that's not the case. That's not true. And, and what, there's an underlying condition in every city across this country where... Everybody wants to pretend that everything is okay, but when they get alone at night and their brain is allowed to think for a moment, uh, they need alcohol, they need drugs, they need YouTube, they need Facebook, they need something to distract them because if they get left alone long enough and they think about the reality of what's going on in their lives, they'll have a nervous breakdown and end up in the hospital. The debt, the broken marriages, the, the horrible children, the, the, the job, the, the, the lack of a job, the, the car, the whatever. If they start thinking about everything that's going on, they will, they will be crushed under the weight. So the answer is not to run to God and find out, what do you want me to do? How do I fix this? The answer is, give me something to numb the feelings. Give me something to distract my brain. I don't want to think about this. I don't want to deal with it. I wish it would just go away, but it's not going away. You have to confront it, whatever it is. I wish it could just be taken away, but it's not going to be taken away. But the solution is not alcohol, drugs, pornography, Facebook, video games, movies. 
this long list of addictions that people have of, of various sorts, and, th- and those are the normal ones. We're not even talking about the sexual perversion that people get involved in because it, it started here, but that's not enough anymore. Now i got to go here, and that's not enough, so i got to go further, and I have to go further, and I have to go further. And the next thing you know, I don't know what gender I am or what bathroom to use, and, I, and, I, and I'm you know, in a gay nightclub. <laughs> well, that, that's, that's Rome. That's Rome. And while we might live in Mayberry, there's some things going on in this town you'd probably be shocked to find out about. Or maybe not. <laughs> maybe you know some of the people participating in them. All right? we, we, we live in a sinful society that needs the Lord Jesus Christ. There's no other answer. And, and, and that's not a, it's not like, well, it's, there's no other answer, so you might as well take him. It's a great solution. It will alter, it will change your life if you will let him. But if you won't, there's nothing that can be done about it. So he preaches the gospel to these strangers at Rome. Uh, these people went home saved and obviously began to preach the same gospel they believed back home. And uh, they, don't, they don't know much else. I mean, they, they, they might, again, they might have had the law of Moses. They might have had whatever they picked up from the disciples that day or those few days they were together. Um, there's no New Testament epistles. They can't go back home and say, look at this Bible I got. <laughs> Let's turn to Ephesians and see what the, you know, the, the, the Bible says. The, none of that exists. And yet they thrive. And they do great. <laughs> it's amazing. The only thing they knew was to preach the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. And the, the only expression of Christianity they had, they had ever seen, were men preaching the gospel publicly to lost souls. And so they went home and they did that. It, one of the most consistent things you'll see in the Bible are God's people preaching publicly to, to unbelievers. And one of the things you will almost never see today are God's people preaching publicly to unbelievers. They'll do everything in the world, but if you mention standing on a street corner, holding a sign, passing out a tract, or talking to people, oh, no, I'm not doing that. Jesus did. Paul did. Paul went to Mars Hill. I've been to Athens. I've been to Mars Hill. It, it's this, this rock that's about 12 feet tall. And you st- they, they would stand on this rock and, and senators and uh, philosophers or whoever would give a speech. And the way the rock is situated, it goes out over this, this um, area of grass. I don't know what you call it. But your voice just carries and, and, and can go a long ways. And so they'd give a speech there. Or they would, you know, talk about their philosophies and all these, all these different things. And so the Apostle Paul went there. But when you turn to the right, it's the entrance to the Acropolis where they're going to worship their gods. <laughs> Paul stood there and preached to those people, I have, come, I have come to tell you about the unknown God whom ye ignorantly worship. <laughs> Publicly. To that crowd. Now, I'd be a little nervous about that. <laughs> what are they going to do? <laughs> well, he, he went right in the belly of the beast and preached the gospel to them. Peter, Peter on, the, on the day of Pentecost, where is he? He's out in the street preaching the gospel publicly. All right, now I'm not telling you we're going to go downtown and, 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 and yell at people as they go down the street. We are going to go downtown and make the gospel public. 
We'll do it as nicely as we can, as respectfully as we can, but we're going to make the gospel public because that's what they did in the Bible. That's what we want to do. Look at Acts chapter 8. Let's look at a few more verses. Miss um, Pat's not here tonight for me to blame about taking so long. So I have to find someone else. My wife ran to the back of the room. She doesn't even want to be up here. No, she's got some bad kids to have to deal with. (laughs) Acts chapter 8, verses 1 through 4. And Saul was consenting unto his death. And at that time, there was a great persecution against the church, which was at Jerusalem. And now listen to this. And they were all scattered abroad throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria, except the apostles, and devout men carried Stephen to his burial and made great lamentation over him. As for Saul, he made havoc of the church, entering into every house, and uh, uh, hailing men and women committed them to prison. Now, look at verse 4. Therefore, they that were scattered abroad went everywhere, preaching the word. Did they go to Rome? They went everywhere preaching the word. Okay, so now in Acts 2, you've got this this crowd in Jerusalem. Strangers from Rome receive the gospel and then take it back home. Praise the Lord. Well, now you have this persecution coming on the church. The very apostle who wrote the book of Romans is persecuting the church and causes it to scatter. And they went everywhere preaching the gospel, preaching the word. Did they go to Rome? Absolutely. All right, so so you, 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 who started the church at Rome? God did. <laughs> I don't, I did. As far as an individual, who knows? Uh, yeah, it's just not, uh, we're not privy to that information. And, uh, but, but we do know that multiple times people had an opportunity to go to Rome and preach the gospel. There's no way for us to know when the church at Rome was established. We can look at the book of Acts and see various people making various approaches to Gentile cities and interacting with people who came and went to Rome. That comes up multiple times in the book of Acts. Uh, But we have no definitive answer as to how the church was started, who started the church, or or, uh, how it progressed into a faithful church spoken of throughout the whole world. Uh, It is very possible it was started by the strangers who were saved in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost, or it's very possible that as the church was scattered, some of them ended up in Rome and helped to either bolster or, or gather together the people who, who were already there. Or maybe there was an, uh, a group of people already meeting when they got there. But there, are multiple, there have been multiple opportunities throughout the book of Acts for the gospel to go to Rome, uh, either by, by people who were scattered from Jerusalem or by the, the strangers from Rome who were there on the day of Pentecost. But this is an assumption. Not a, dem, not a demonstrable fact. I can't prove to you that this is what happened. I just, all I can tell you is that these men were there on the day of Pentecost. That's a fact. Uh, the church was scattered and they were spread everywhere preaching the gospel. That's a fact. But how the church at Rome was started, it, it'd be a guess. There's no definitive answer. Um, but the, the, what we do know for certain is that a great church was started there. And it began at the height of Roman power. And in the midst of Gentile depravity, which is pretty incredible. And, and you would think, man, someone really knowledgeable must have went there. <laughs> no. You know who went there? Someone really faithful. That's who God used to start this church and to, and to build 
a great church in Rome, someone who was faithful. That's all God needs is someone who will be faithful. And, and, and that makes all the difference. Christ established his church in Rome at the height of their power. But Paul, in his travels, would be the apostle who finally visited this great city. When he arrived, the church already existed, so he is not responsible for starting the church at Rome, uh, but he, he played a major role in, in, in establishing them in the faith and building them up in the faith. Look at Acts 19. I'll show you some of this. Acts 19, his desire for this city is well known in the Bible. Acts 19, and uh, look at verse 21. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the spirit when he had passed through Macedonia and Achaia to go to Jerusalem, saying, after I've been there, I must also see Rome. Now, this is important. Look, look again at this verse. After these things were ended, Paul purposed in the what? Spirit. Now, is that capital spirit or lowercase spirit? lowercase. That's a determination that Paul made in the flesh. The Holy Spirit told him repeatedly, don't go to Jerusalem. And he said, I'm going. I'm, I'm not stopping. And three times the Holy Spirit warned him, do not go to Jerusalem. And he went anyways. And then guess what happened? Exactly what the Holy Spirit told him would happen if he went to Jerusalem. (laughs) He said, if you go, they're going to bind you, they're going to arrest you, and they're going to put you to death. And then he went, and guess what happened? (laughs) They bound him, arrested him, took him to Rome, put him on trial again for no reason, and put him to death. That's that's ultimately what happened. Look at Acts 18, and let's read verses 1 through 5. Just a few more, well, 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 almost a few more. A few more than a few more quick stops. You know, if the, if the football game goes in overtime, you don't turn it off, do you? <laughs> Amen, Brother Thomas. <laughs> All right, verse 1. After these things, Paul departed from Athens and came to Corinth and found a certain Jew named Aquila, born to, in, in Pontus, lately come from where? Italy. Italy. With his wife Priscilla, because that Claudius had commanded all Jews to depart from Rome. And came unto them, and because he was of the same craft, he abode with them and wrought, for by their occupation they were tent makers. So here you have this couple from Rome staying with the Apostle Paul. Isn't that interesting? Do you think they had family still in Rome? Do you think they had friends still in Rome that they talked to, spent time with, wrote to, whatever the case may be? And here the Apostle Paul is staying with them and teaching them the Word of God. And then they end up teaching Apollos the Word of God more perfectly based on what Paul taught them. And so you have this whole cycle of of events taking place all related to to, to Rome. I wonder if if they had anything to do with Paul's desire to go to Rome. I wonder if they told him things about Rome that made him say, man, I got to go see this city. I I, want to go there. Uh, Look at Acts 23, verses 10 and 11. Verse 10, and when there arose a great dissension, the chief captain, fearing lest Paul should have been pulled in pieces of them, commanded the soldiers to go down and to take him by force from among them and to bring him into the castle And the night following, the Lord stood by him and said, 
be of good cheer, Paul. <laughs> For as thou hast testified to me in Jerusalem, so must thou bear witness also at Rome. Now, this is, a, this, is, this is both a blessing and a curse. This is good and bad. The Lord told Paul, don't go to Rome or Jerusalem. If you go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. They're going, you're, they're going to put you to death. All right. Paul said, I'm going. I'm, I'm you know, that whole scene in, in, in Ephesus when he says, what mean ye to weep and to break mine heart? I'm ready even to die for the gospel. Well, that, that's, that's often preached as a, as a motivational thing. Paul is disobeying the Holy Spirit when he says that. All right. It's not, it's, it's a little out of context to preach that as motivation. All right. You want to obey the Holy Spirit, not disobey the Holy Spirit. But he disobeyed the Holy Spirit. He went to Jerusalem. And just as God said, if you go to Jerusalem, they're going to arrest you. Well, he went to Jerusalem. They arrested him. Now he's in trouble. He's not getting out of this. And Jesus is not getting him out of it. You see that. Instead, what the Lord said is, you know, Paul, I'm still going to use you. Isn't that a blessing? The Lord didn't say, you got yourself into this, you know, see you when you get to heaven. I'm done with you. No, he said, you testified of me in Jerusalem. Now I'm going to let you testify of me in Rome. I told you not to go. They're still going to kill you. You're still going to suffer the consequences of what you chose to do. But while you're doing it, I'm going to use you. You're going to preach to Caesar. You're going to, pre- you're going to, you're going to give the gospel in Rome, which is exactly what he wrote in Romans 1. I long to see you. I want to preach the gospel to you. I want to be there. I want to impart spiritual gifts to you. I wish I could be there. Well, this is not quite what he had in mind, going there under arrest and then being put on house house arrest, and then, you know, ultimately beheaded uh, is, is, I believe, the way he was finally, um, he was finally put to death. Now, while he was there, the Lord used him greatly. Uh, look, we'll, we'll look at these real fast. Look at Galatians 6. If, if you have a, um, a King James Bible that gives you the footnotes put there by the translators, you'll find this interesting. If you don't, you know, don't worry about turning to these. It won't be there. So, some um, some Bible printers put it and some do not. Um, but at the end of Galatians, the very last, the little footnote at the end of Galatians says, unto the Galatians written from Rome. You see that? Look at uh, Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians 6, written from Rome unto the Ephesians by Tychicus. So the Apostle Paul gave his words to Tychicus. Tychicus wrote them down all right there in Rome while Paul was under house arrest. Look at Philippians 4, at the end of Philippians chapter 4. It was written to the Philippians from Rome by Epaphroditus. So he he used Epaphroditus as the penman, and um, the apostle Paul gave him the words. Look at Colossians 4. All, All these letters written from Rome to these churches... Uh, Colossians 4, and uh, at the very end of the chapter, written from Rome to the Colossians by Tychicus and Onesimus. Look at 2 Timothy chapter 1. We'll read this real fast. 2 Timothy 1, verses 16 and 17. The Lord give mercy unto the house of Onesiphorus. That would be a good, you know, if we have a son, that's that's a good name, right? Miss Kathleen, right? Onesiphorus? 
That's a good name. That's, I mean, my, we're, my wife is pregnant. We could end up having a boy if we have a boy. We already have a girl name picked out. We don't have a boy name picked out. So, Onesiphorus. Everybody want to vote on it? Anybody want to? If you, if you agree, raise your hand. Come on, raise your hand. I don't care. It's not my name. <laughs> All right. For he oft refreshed me. See, you see, he'd be named after a good man in the Bible. He oft refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chain. But when he was in Rome, he sought me out very diligently and found me. And then come to the end of 2 Timothy. The second epistle unto Timotheus ordained the first bishop of the church of the Ephesians was written from Rome when Paul was brought before Nero the second time. That's some interesting detail. And then finally, Philemon, the end of Philemon, written from Rome to Philemon by Onesimus, a servant. All right, so you see, God, God used Paul, though he was disobedient to the Lord, and, 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 and we'll talk about this when we have a chance, when we get, get more into the life of the Apostle Paul. This was not just a simple case of disobedience. You're talking to a man, about a man who was beaten, who was whipped, who was thrown off a cliff, who's left for dead, imprisoned. I mean, just when he said, I'm ready to die, he, was, he meant it. He was not, this was not an arbitrary thing. He didn't just suddenly decide, oh, I'm going to go to Jerusalem. I don't care what the Holy Spirit said. No, he was done. <laughs> he had been through more than he could take physically. It seems to me he was ready to just move on. And moving on meant going to heaven. Uh, he, he was prepared to do that. But he desired to see Jerusalem one last time before he did that. And um, all right. Now, the, the last part, we're just going to talk about Rome real fast. I'll just, I'll just run through the notes real quick. Uh, we're a little bit over the amount of time that I normally take on a Wednesday night. And uh, some of you have lives and you've been working and all those good things. And so I don't want to wear you out. But Isaiah 5.8 says that the more that people are gathered together in one location, house to house, collected together, the greater the concentration of sin. And Rome is an example of that. They are joined house to house. You're talking about millions of people gathered together. I mean, what, what, do, you, do you fear walking down the street at night in Loosedale? I don't. I, I mean, it's highly unlikely something's going to happen to you. Right? It's possible, but highly unlikely. Now, there are places in Mobile you will not do that. <laughs> it's very different. Now, what's the difference between Loosedale and Mobile? a much greater concentration of sinners collected together. And the greater the concentration of sinners collected together, the greater the sin. And that's what you have in Romans 1. You have this long list of sinful activity that God, that God describes as a reprobate mind. All right? God is saying that, that this is what the people at Rome are dealing with, reprobates. And, and that's... Um, you know, they made their own gods. That's Romans 1, verses 21 through 23. And then you get a list of characteristics of Rome in verses 29 through 32. And this is no different than the world we live in today. It's no different than where we are now. Now, I'm thankful to be in Loosedale, where it's on a smaller scale, but it's still true. You got a group of people, we've talked about it a few times now, they can't wait to legalize liquor. <laughs> and then when, when they do that, you're going to see a liquor store on every corner. 
And when you see a liquor store on every corner, you're going to see the character of your society degrade greatly. And it's, it's going to divulge into, they might get more people here. They might, they might get more people in their restaurants. They might get a little bar or nightclub, you know, around town. And what that's going to bring, what is that going to attract? Like, that's not going to attract people who say, you know, I want to have a wife for 30 years and children who grow up to be successful. No, it's going to bring people who have been married and divorced 10 times and, and get into fights and want to shoot people and stab people and rob people and get drunk and drive home and cross the line and kill an entire family because they just want to go out and have a good time. That's what they're introducing to the city when you bring that in. And it's not worth it. Regardless, it's our responsibility to take the gospel into that. Whatever level of that we are dealing with, it's our responsibility to go and preach the gospel in that. Praise the Lord. Right now, it's pretty good in Loosedale to go and preach the gospel. All right. A few people might say no. A few people may reject it. Um, it's, it's not going to be bad. There might be a few people who don't like it. That's all right. But it's not Mobile, it's not Memphis, it's not Los Angeles, it's not New York City. We're not talking about large scale, you know, your life is at risk <laughs> for breathing uh, type, types of places. All right, so the Lord's blessed us with a great place to live. Uh, the way to preserve that is to go out and give them the word of God and try and encourage as many people as possible to live thereby. Amen. Father, we love you. Thank you for loving us. Thank you for being so, so good to us. Lord, we sure do love this little town and uh, pray, God, you'd preserve it as long as possible and that you'd help us to do our part to uh, spread your word and, and to get it into the hands of people who, who need it, people who are needy and hurting and um, people in sorrow, people in, in di- whose lives are in disarray. Pray that you'd help us, help us to be a blessing to this area. Pray that you'd have your way in the lives of the people here. And may your church, may your name, may your son and your word be honored and glorified. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this podcast. You can learn more about our ministry by visiting www.plenteousredemption.com. You can hear more Plenteous Redemption podcast audio at www.plenteousredemption.media. Please comment below if this podcast has been a help to you. Also, inform us of future topics that would interest you. Thank you again for listening to the Plenteous Redemption Podcast.